0: All right, so let's resume the book of John. This morning excited to be back uh, in the book of John and um, I really I took a I didn't preach on this passage last week uh, and I decided to preach on the kingship of Christ from Deuteronomy chapter 17 because I really wanted an extra week to look at this passage. There was a couple question marks I had and I'm glad I took an opportunity to do that. But since we're jumping back into the book of John, let me remind you what he says was the point and why he wrote uh, this gospel and. Chapter 20 and verse 30, John writes this. and uh, He said, Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of His disciples, which are not recorded in this book, but these are written that you may believe in Jesus the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. This is the thesis of the book. So there's so many other things that Jesus did, taught, that are not here, but the ones that are here are for a very specific purpose. And John includes some miracles that were, that were not in the other Gospels, specifically for a purpose, and, I, and this one is one of them. This the healing of this man right beside this pool um, is one of those, and one of the reasons I love this passage is because in every one of these episodes that Jesus, where Jesus heals someone, he's got more than their physical body in mind. He's always got their soul in mind. And when Jesus asks a question, it's for a very specific reason, because he already knows the answer. It's for them more than it is that he is seeking knowledge. And so John is trying to teach him in this moment that he can be free from his paralysis of his body, but he can also be free from the paralysis of his soul, the sin in his life that is killing him. And what I want you to know this morning is that in Christ Jesus you can know freedom from sin. That you can be free from soul paralysis. So, let's look at this. But first of all, before we jump in right into reading the passage, connection to God is life. Connection to God is salvation. And what has happened because of sin is the whole world is broken and flawed, and so are you, and so am I. We're broken and flawed because of our sin. And and, and what has happened as a result of that, as I I just said, that sin brings soul paralysis. We don't function like we should. Our desires aren't like they should be. Our our intellect isn't like we should be. The the Bible, specifically the book of Proverbs, we'll look at that just for a second this morning, has a whole section on what fools are. Because our mind doesn't exactly reason Like it should. All of us, every part of us, is broken and marred. And if you become a Christian, if you bless your faith in Christ and repent of your sin, some of that begins to be restored. And then one day, when you're with Him, or He comes back, it's completely restored. Okay, But it's, it's broken. We have this paralysis of the soul. Paralysis defined, it goes something like this. The loss of the ability to move, or sometimes even to feel, in part or most of the body, typically as a result of illness, poison, or injury. Now, some of you might r- remember Christopher Reeve. Some of you may not, but he was one of the first uh, supermen in the super movies. He made three Superman movies. In my opinion, he was the best Superman. But we can talk about that later. Okay, um, I'm right, you're wrong. But anyway, we can talk. So, But it, a terrible thing happened to Christopher Rees in 1995 after he became famous. And some, several of you know he was in a horse riding accident where he, got, he fell off the horse and he was paralyzed from the neck down. And he couldn't even breathe on his own. He had a, a, a trach and a, and a ventilator and he had to live the rest of his life uh, in, in that kind of paralyzed state. And what is fascinating about him he, and his wife, it really is a remarkable story, about how he still lived his life, even though he was paralyzed. And he did so much for the paralyzed community and for research. He really is kind of an inspiring character when, when you study his life. But here's the reason why I bring it up. Um, he was Superman, bulletproof. You know the phrase, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. And then he was paralyzed and couldn't even breathe on his own. And that's a great illustration of what happened to us because of sin. Adam was like Superman. No sin, perfect relationship with God. The world was like that. And then sin came into the world and completely paralyze the world in us. Now, we may not realize it. We might not even be aware of it. But our soul is on a ventilator. And we desperately need the redemption of God. We desperately need Christ and keep Christ alone to heal our soul from this paralysis and to recover. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And Jesus is very serious about that. You'll see it in this passage when he goes back to this man that He has healed and said, hey, if you don't repent, something worse is going to happen. All right, but let's look at the passage together. John chapter 5. I'll begin reading in verse 1. This is, God's, this is God's Word. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for a feast of the Jews. Now, there in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethsaida, and which is surrounded by five colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. And when Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. And while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. And the day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, Who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. And the man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. The grass withers and the flower fades. The word of our God will stand forever. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, as we look at your word this morning, we ask for your help. I ask for your help. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts together would be acceptable in your sight and that you would help us to worship you over your word. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Here's a big idea this morning. There is freedom from sin available to you, but step one is taking your sin as seriously as God does. There is freedom from sin that is available to you, but step one is taking your sin as seriously as God does. Now, I'm going to argue in, in just a minute that this man is in habitual, repetitious, chronic sin that he, has, that he continues to be in a pattern of and that I think actually caused his paralysis in the first place. We'll get into that in just a minute. But the reality is that for many of us, sin—there there is an aspect of sin in our life that is repeating and that is chronic and that we can't get over for whatever reason. And it needs to stop. And what I want you to know is that it's available to you. The freedom is available to you. See, for some of us, we're in love with our sin. We don't want to stop. We like it. For others of us, we're, we're, we don't like it, but we've become comfortable with it. Maybe because we're hopeless about it. We just think it's part of who we are, and there's nothing else that, can, that we just can't stop. It just is what it is, right? That phrase we use all the time. Or maybe we're cynical about it. Here we go again. Another sermon about sin. I've been trying. Can't do it. Whatever the reason is, What I want you to hear and what I want you to listen to is what God says about your sin, not what I or even your own heart say about it. So we're going to look at this idea of the fact that freedom from sin is available to you. We're going to look at it in this passage under three headings. Sin is serious, there is freedom from sin, and how to have freedom from sin. Sin is serious, there is freedom from sin and then how to have freedom from sin. First of all, sin is serious. There's a lot in this passage about sin. Let me go over it real quick, and then we'll go in a little bit deeper. First of all, Jesus is concerned over this man's sin, and then there is a stern warning at the end of the passage where condemnation is promised. So he takes, Jesus takes special effort to find this guy again. It's not like Jesus had nothing to do. Not like he didn't have people clamoring for his attention, but when he's at the temple, he goes and makes a special point to find this guy because he's that concerned about his sin. Tells him, hey, stop sinning or something worse is going to happen to you. Okay? Big warning there. Right? Talk he's talking about this life and the next. Big warning there, okay? So that's the first clue we get. Then there's the sin of the Jews. We don't know who this group of Jews are, right? Potentially it's the Pharisees or the other religious leaders, but John just says some of the Jews. We don't know exactly which group he's talking about. But they are completely blind. Their sin has blinded them to the reality of who Jesus is and what's just happened. This man had been paralyzed for 38 years. 38 years, and in the close community, it's not like they wouldn't have noticed who this guy was. They saw he had to be carried to this pool every single day. In the hopes that this the, the, the superstitious or legitimate, some commentators differ whether the angels really visited this pool or whether it was kind of a superstitious thing. But a lot of people went there. There were tons of lame and blind and all of the kind of people there. But somebody had to carry this guy there every day. They would have known him. And then here he is walking down the street carrying his mat. And instead of going, What just happened to you? They go, Put the mat down. It's a Sabbath. What? You're completely blind. And then I'm going to argue in just a minute that there was sin in this guy's life that caused his paralyzation in the first place. So let's jump into that last one because I think it's the most difficult one to prove. And I just want to give you a little bit of a caveat. Um, one of the reasons I wanted to study this passage is to is to really think about this fact because I've seen a lot of uh, people who are scholars write on this passage that say his sin caused his paralyzation and then a few who say they didn't. So I'm going um, to argue that from the passage. If you disagree, that's fine. Uh, but let me go ahead and, and get it to you, all right? First of all, I want to show you that sometimes our sin causes the judgment of God in this life and that can include physical ailments or deformities. A couple examples throughout the Bible, okay? Uh, for, well, let me just say this. Before we get to the examples, let me say this. The difficulty that you're experiencing in your life right now could have nothing to do with your sin. All right, It could be, as Bob prayed just a minute ago, a trial that God's bringing into your life for that purpose. It could be something like the life of Joseph or the life of Job, who were righteous men, and God, there were other reasons why they were experiencing suffering and pain. Okay, That is totally true. However, the other side of the coin is also true, that the pain that you're experiencing in your life, potentially even physically, is coming from your sin and your lack of repentance. Now, a few examples. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 28, when Paul's talking about the Lord's Supper, every time we take the Lord's Supper, I read this verse. Swiss so says, "Before you take the Lord's Supper, a, a man ought to examine himself before he eats the bread and drinks of the cup." Why? Verse 29. For anyone who eats and drinks without recognizing the body of the Lord eats and drinks judgment on himself. Okay, Don't have any bitterness in your heart. Make sure you're a Christian. All those things we talk about. Why? Verse 30. That is why many among you are weak and sick. And a number of you have fallen asleep, which could mean they died. So they were taking the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. And If you read the rest of 1 Corinthians 11, you'll find out a couple things they were doing. He spells that out. And as a result, some of them were physically sick as a result of that. Okay? Acts chapter 5, Ananias lies about some property that he sold, and God killed him like that. Numbers 11, people were complaining um, about, they didn't want the manna that God was providing them. They, he provided them this miraculous bread. They didn't want it anymore. They wanted meat, and they were complaining. They were complaining, they were complaining, they were complaining. They were complaining. In chapter 11, verse 33, it says, "...but while the meat was still between their teeth, and before it could be consumed, the anger of the Lord burned against the people, and He struck them with a severe plague." Okay, Their sin, physical result. Um, Genesis chapter 19, "...the men of Sodom are struck with blindness when they want to gang-rape the angels." And then last example I'll give, Miriam was struck with leprosy for rebelling against Moses' leadership because Moses was God's chosen leader at that moment. And actually, there's a lot more examples. So the reality of what Scripture seems to be teaching here is that sometimes our sin can have ramifications in our soul and actually in the physical world that we live in. So uh, here are some reasons why I believe... Um, that this man's paralysis was caused by his sin. First of all, I'll say this. In John chapter 9, we'll get there in several weeks, or whenever we get there. Um, there's a man who has, who's lame, and Jesus says in chapter 9, verse 3, that neither this man nor his parents sinned, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. In other words, this guy's condition wasn't caused by his sin, it just happened so I could do this miracle. Okay, that's what Jesus is saying in chapter 9. But I believe in this specific scenario that it was this man's sin that caused his paralysis for this reason, for these reasons. First of all, it's Jesus' question. Jesus never asks a question accidentally. And he never asks a question to seek information. He knows the answer to the question. He asks a question for the person that he's asking the question to. And isn't it a fascinating question that he asks this guy? Don't you want to get well? Isn't that interesting? Why? Because the guy was just playing around. He didn't want to give up his sin. Second reason, his response to that question. Okay, his response to the question. What he said is, "Sir," he says, "I, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I am trying to get in, someone else goes in, goes in, down ahead of me and." What I'm seeing in this passage, particularly when you're looking at the Greek, is, this is he may be being extremely sarcastic. He may be making an excuse. Or maybe he's completely hopeless and he's lost all belief that he can actually be healed and he's just there because that's what he's always done. And he's just going through the motion. Or maybe he's completely apathetic about his sin in general. All of those... Are sinful responses. And then there are two, two last reasons why I believe that this paralysis was caused by a sin. The main one is Jesus' warning to him at the temple after he was healed. That's the main reason. Jesus takes special care to go find this guy and say, "Stop sinning," or something worse is going to happen to you. Like, I've given you this now stop or something worse is going to happen. And also, this guy never... I mean, most, a lot of the times when, when Jesus heals someone, you'll see the person thank Jesus and ask if he can follow him, and this guy does none of that. In fact, whenever he finds out that it was Jesus that healed him, he goes and tattles on him to the, to the, lead, to the Jews, most likely the Pharisees. So for those reasons... For those reasons, I I think that his paralysis was caused by his sin, and it's one of the reasons why Jesus gives him and us this stern warning about our sin. And I think the warning is, don't play with sin. It's going to have ramifications. You, you You heard the passage I read in Genesis. It's crouching at your door, and its desire is to destroy you. Don't play with it. You'll pay for it either in this life or the next. But the good news of this passage and so many passages of Scripture is that there is freedom available to you. There is power available to you in Christ to be healed from your soul paralysis. Question How did the rest of the people find healing in the New Testament for their soul? What was the remedy? Place their faith in Christ, and they did what after that? They followed Him. Placed their faith in Christ, they repented of their sin, and they followed Him, and over time what happened is the sin that was in their life started to lose its grip. And that's what God calls us to do. Now here's the question. Is there chronic and repeating sin in your life? Sin that maybe you've grown hopeless about. It's just something I can't change. Sin that maybe you're apathetic towards or not even fighting against anymore or perhaps never have in the first place. What I want you to know from this passage is that there is freedom from that sin available to you. And the lie that you may be believing that it's just going to be with you forever is just that. It's a lie. And it doesn't have to be your story. The next thing we see in these passages is that these Jews were so blinded by their sin that they did not even appreciate the miracle. They were so prideful that they couldn't even see what was standing right in front of them. They were so prideful that they added to God's law about the Sabbath. Jesus didn't break any laws by healing this man on the Sabbath. This man didn't break any of God's law by by carrying a bed made of straw uh, as he was walking through. These were man-made laws that these prideful, audacious men... What kind of person says, I'm so holy that I can add to God's law because he didn't get it right the first time? And so they, in the Mishnah, which was their addition to the law of God, there were 39 types of work classified, and one of those was car- actually carrying a, a straw bed. And they were so blinded by their pride that they can't even recognize that a man who had been paralyzed longer than I have been alive is now walking. He, they are what the Bible calls fools, and we'll talk about that a little more when we get to dive into the Pharisees specifically, but the Bible calls them fools, and what a fool is, is someone who's out of touch with reality. If you're in a house and small kids, and a two-year-old reaches up and touches the stove and burns their hand, this has happened in our house, you would, be, you would help them and, and you would help them and comfort them, but you wouldn't scold them at like, like I can't believe you did that, you're so silly, because they, they didn't know, they know now. But you would a 14-year-old because they know better. You would say, that's, that's foolish. You are outside of the bounds of the reality that you know. That's what a fool is. You, you're, you're outside of the bounds of, of reality. And what these men were, were outside of the reality that they are crippled by sin. And they shouldn't be so audacious to think that they could add to God's law, amongst other things. We'll get into that later. There's more I could say there about what the Bible says about being a fool and how they are a good example of that. But we'll get to that on another day. Point number two, sin is serious. This is what I want for you. I want you to see, I want you to see that your sin is serious. But the second thing I want you to know is that there is freedom from sin. Look at the, the, the freedom that Jesus offers in this passage in verse 14. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. Jesus, Jesus offers freedom from sin. Now, one of, the things, one of the reasons we engage in sin is because we think it's going to bring us happiness. And what happens is the more we engage, the more unhappy that we become. And the more God can't stand it. What Jesus te- or John teaches in, in chapter 8... Uh, the words of Jesus in verse 31, it says, To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus says this, If you hold my teaching, you really are my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Two truths I think Jesus has in mind here. Number one, that we are broken and marred with sin. We need Jesus to heal our soul. And number two, is that you need to follow Jesus to learn how to stop sinning, and secondly, to have the power to do it. I think Jesus was giving this man great advice. Stop sinning. But I also think he was giving him an implicit invitation. Come follow me. And he didn't take either. There is freedom from sin. Now, I'm going to do this this quickly, and I'll tell you why in a minute, but I want to show you that there is freedom from sin. What Jesus did on the cross is He made it possible for us to come to Him. And He paid the penalty for our sin with His blood and He gave us His perfect righteousness with His life. That's why when we take the Lord's Supper, there's bread and cup. Perfect record, payment for our sin. Okay? That's why we do that every time. Jesus gave us His perfect righteousness Record, we are now free from the penalty of sin if you're in Christ. If you're not in Christ, you are not free from that penalty and you will bear it. Please come to Him. But if you are in Christ, you are free from the penalty of sin because God has given you His righteousness. Okay, secondly, Jesus offers us His Spirit to come into us and clean us from the inside out. We're not only free from the penalty of sin, but we're free from the power of sin. Romans chapter 6, verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your moral body, so that you obey its evil desires, as if you have a choice, because you do. In Christ Jesus is the first time that you actually have the power to say no to sin. Otherwise, He wouldn't command it. You have the ability. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God and Jesus Christ. For so many of us, we don't believe that. You don't believe that in Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory, who came down from the heavens and died for our sins and rose again from the dead and ascended and sits on the throne of the universe, that in Him there is power for you to stop doing what is killing you. And there is. In Him, the power of sin does not have to dominate your life anymore, friend. Free from the penalty, free from the power, but unfortunately, we're not free from the presence. We know that. It's still around, even if you're in Christ. Romans chapter 7, Paul talks about this war. He Listen, if there's anybody who was a Christian, it was Paul, right? He talks about this war that's within him. He wants to do right, but he, he can't. He's at, he's at war with himself. He says in verse 22 of chapter 7. For in my inner being I delight God's law but I see another law at work waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work in my members. What a wretched man that I am. Who can rescue me from this body of death? And then he says, Thanks be to God, Jesus can. And then he goes into chapter 8. Chapter 8 of the book of Romans, he says, "Know in all things we are more than conquerors through Christ who loved us." Chapter six, power is available. Chapter seven, the struggle is real. Chapter eight, so is the victory. Okay, it's all I have time for to go into right now. But there is a there's so much in the Bible about how Jesus gives us the ability to turn from our sin. And there, and there are some that, that teach that, you know, listen, just look forward to heaven, but there's some things that you just can't get over right now. And for sure, we will never be free from the presence of sin until we're with God, but that's a lie. You can have victory over sin today. And that's the final point, briefly this morning. How to have freedom from sin. The first thing that has to happen is God has to convict your heart. I have no ability to do that. Other people in your life have no ability to do that. We can show you the truth, but God has to convict you. You have to have legitimate sorrow from your sin. You know, raising kids, sometimes, you know, one smacks the other one. You know, I smack, you know. Tell your sister you're sorry. Sorry. You know, they they don't want the consequence, but they're really not sorry about the action. That's not conviction. Conviction is being broken over what you've done, not simply the consequence of what you've done. And then the deep-seated belief that God wants you back. The deep-seated belief that you can come back, not because you're good, but because of what Christ has done. Acknowledgement of sin, belief that God wants you back and you can come back in Christ Jesus and then the repentance and the resolve to stop I love what um, John Piper has said I've heard Foster say it before I've heard other people say it before that some of us aren't really struggling with our sin we're just giving in we're not really fighting we're not really making war we're not really doing what is necessary. Believe, repent, resolve to stop. Now, I've got a couple minutes left, and this is what I, this is what I want to say. Y'all, y'all look at me listen up. There's some things in your life. Here's the question that we've been asking today. Is there chronic, repetitious, habitual sin that you've thought about, you've tried to fix, can't fix, Maybe you're hopeless about it now. And it's, it's there, and me preaching the sermon, actually, at the moment, it doesn't feel like it's helping you. It actually feels like it's about, it's making it worse. Okay? Here's what I want you to hear me say. There may be reasons that you're angry. There may be reasons that you're bitter. There may be reasons that you are hopeless, or whatever the sin is, okay? whatever the sin is. Lustful, sexual sin is one of the big ones in the Bible. That you're not even aware of. There's a there's a you, the symptom you you're, you're frustrated with, but you don't know the root of it. You may need someone else to help you with that. And if you're serious about your sin, you'll ask someone. I'm available. You know, if, I, if I'm not a good person, there's plenty of people in this church. Laura w- would be a wonderful resource. I taught to Laura all the time. You know, I, when I grow up, I want to be like Laura. You know. But there, there are some times where you need help figuring it out. And part of the resolve to change is admitting that and saying, I'm done with it. One of the commentators I read, D.A. Carson, said this. He said, the first step towards wholeness is a deep desire for it and believing it's a reality. If there's chronic, repeating sin in your life and it just isn't going anywhere let's talk because there may be a deeper thing going on that you're not even aware of and you might need some help bringing that out but here's the point okay here's the point if you leave with anything leave with this sin is serious it can destroy you but there is freedom available available Jesus Christ. Now here's what we're going to do. Joseph's going to come up here and play uh, just one verse um, of He Will Hold Me Fast, and I just want you to sit there silently and reflect and just ask God this very simple question. Maybe you know what it is, and it just popped on the forefront of your mind, that sin. Maybe you need a minute to ask God's help, okay? We're going to take just not long. We're going to take just a minute or so, And we're going to pray, ask God to convict you of your sin, and then we'll sing our final song and we'll go from there. Okay?